Good to see everyone here this morning and uh, that you set your clocks back. Uh, hopefully nobody's been here for over an hour already, have you? Raise your hand if you have. Well, that's good. All right. Glad to see you. Uh, uh, if you're like me, we had a few trick-or-treaters come by last night, so spent a little time last night handing out candy. Of course, I had my mask on and uh, made sure I was protecting them and uh, had some little ones and some big ones come by, so quite a few. Uh, good to see everybody survived the big storm. Uh, we lost power Thursday morning about 6 a.m., and it didn't come back home until Friday night about 6.30, so... I think that might be the longest time I remember ever being without power. Of course, it's just one night, you know, it's not a big deal, but it's amazing what you, what you lose when you don't have power, you know? It really is. Uh, and after a day of it, you get really sick of it. <laughs> I mean, you, you think, well, we can, we can survive this, but after about a day, you're like, I'm ready for the power to be back on, you know? So, uh, anyways. I, yeah, you keep, yeah, you keep hitting the switch and nothing comes on, that's right. And, of course, you're worried about all your food spoiling and all that stuff. And you're afraid to open the refrigerator, you know, but, and then you're running out to get dinner or whatever. So I can remember, this is back in the 70s when I was a kid, maybe about 70 or 74. Any of y'all that might have been in Atlanta, we had an ice storm, a really bad one. Anybody remember that, that we're living here then? And uh, I think we lost power. We lived inside the cab then when we were going to Hill Church at Hillcrest back then. And I think we lost power for, like, maybe that night, the first night, but we got it back. But our preacher brother, Charles Williams, lived in the preacher's home, and I don't think he had power for like a week. And so my parents invited them over to stay with us for the week. So we, we had the preacher and his wife and his daughter at our house for the week, which as a 10 or 11-year-old kid, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm not sure mom and dad enjoyed it all that much, but I know we did. We had a lot of fun. But anyways, uh, it's a it's a trying time. We had a tree went across Old Swanee Road right outside our neighborhood and it was blocked for that two days. So that, that makes it even worse because you can see what's causing the problem and nobody's doing anything about it, you know? So uh, anyways, that was interesting, but we survived and uh, uh, that's, that's the main thing. All right, let's, uh, let's go over our prayer list today. Uh, Brother, sister Billy and Donna Simmons have, have been exposed to COVID-19 by a neighbor, apparently. So we need to be remembering the Simmons family at this time. Um, Alvin Duncan and Kelly Hartness, Mark Duncan's father and sister, both have contracted the virus. And uh, Evelyn Beadle, Tiffany Krippner's grandmother's, had a steady decline of health due to dementia. She's asking, she's now living with Tiffany under hospice care and asking for prayers. So please continue to remember them at this time as well. Uh, my mother did come home last uh, Sunday or Monday, and uh, she's doing better. Uh, so thankful for your prayers for that. That was a little scary, but uh, she's doing much better now. She's been a, been a night in the hospital, a night or, a night or two, and uh, thankful for that. Uh, and, of course, we do need to remember others that are, that are shut in, uh, are not able to get out right now, and uh, those that, others that have families with the virus and so forth. So anybody else we need to be remembering at this time? Okay, let's go to our Father in Prayer before we get started today. Father in Heaven, we're so thankful for your love for us, Father, for your love and care and your, your, your guidance and your, your um, willingness to, to save us and, and take care of us, Father. We just thank you for that. Uh, this world, we have many problems, uh, many issues, this, this virus going on. 
uh, storms and things like that, Father, and we just thank you for guiding us through these things and help us to get through them. Without prayer, we would be lost, and uh, we just thank you for that opportunity to be able to talk to you about these things, to be comforted by your word and by your help, Father, and, and we just thank you for that. We ask you to be with those who are sick today that have been mentioned on our list here, especially with this virus, that they might be, be able to get through this and recover quickly, Father, and get back their health. Father, we thank you for, for, the, for those who are taking care of them. We ask you to help them to continue to guide them and minister to them in a way that's good for them and pleasing and edifying to them. Father, help us to know how to deal with the folks who are hurting or folks who have suffered loss or ailing as well. Father, we have this uh, election coming up in our nation. We ask you to be with, the, be with our leaders of this country that they may seek your guidance and, and your will and everything that they do. We ask that your will be done through this election, that, uh, that uh, this country may move back toward, toward faith and toward you, your, your, uh, seeking your guidance, seeking your will, Father, that it will be done. We know you're in control, and we thank you for that, and we take comfort in that, Father. And please continue to bless this nation and bless, uh, bless the, the people here. We ask you to bless this congregation and continue to do that as you have. People here that are, that are so willing to serve in the kingdom, Father, we thank you for their hearts for service and their love they have for you. We ask you to continue to watch over this congregation and bless it. Help us to know how to do a good work in this community, that we might be that light shining in a, in a dark world, as Jesus was, as we've been studying. We ask you to be with us through this coming week and the rest of this year, Father. Help us to know how to serve you in a way that's pleasing to you and uplifting to others and, be, and uh, just help us to be safe and healthy, Father, in any way possible. Of course, we thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, for without him, we'd have no hope. And it's in his name we pray at this time. Amen. All right. If you've, uh, of course, you've been in here the last few weeks. Uh, we've been studying in the book of John and uh, the Gospel of John. And of course, we've talked about how how unique a gospel it is. It's different from the other three. The other three we call the synoptic gospels because they are very similar. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They talk about similar events, similar things that went on in a different perspective, of course, but uh, they are similar. John is very different. John does talk about some of the events, but uh, many that are not mentioned in the other gospels. And uh, uh, it's very interesting. Its style is different, uh, very stylish. But as I've done every Sunday, I want to remind you why the book of John was written. Turn over to John 20. Let's read it again. Verse 30, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What a wonderful statement. I mean, that's it, right? That sums it up right there. John is saying... I wrote this so you can believe. And that's really, when it comes down to it, all that matters. And you can have life. Not only life in eternity in heaven, but life on earth in his name. What a glorious statement that is. What a wonderful statement that is. What a comforting statement that is. Especially in a year like we've had this year, the things that are going on, we can take comfort in God's providence and his care for us, his love for us, is sending his son that we know we have a hope of eternal life. No matter what happens here, no matter what happens to us, even until death, we have that hope. And that's a wonderful thing. All right, last week we talked about Jesus' cleansing of the temple. You remember we talked about the fact that during the time of Passover especially, uh, there were merchandisers taking advantage, right? Just like they do today. Uh, they were selling uh, 
animals for sacrifice that the, that the Jews that came to Jerusalem for the Passover had to, had to make sacrifices and so forth. So they were selling things, gouging the people in the temple itself. And Jesus went in and did what? He made a, he made a whip of cords, right? And he drove them out of the temple saying, you have made the temple a house of merchandise, a den of thieves when it should be a house of prayer. And we read where he, the, apostles, the disciples realized that he said he had a zeal. There was a prophecy in Psalm 69. He said he had a zeal for his father's house. And we talked about the fact that we should have that zeal, right? We should have that zeal for the temple of God. And what is the temple of God today? It's within us, right? The church, the people, the children of God. That's where the God resides today. Not symbolically in the Holy of Holies in the temple, where only the high priest could enter one time a year on the Day of Atonement, but within us, within our hearts, within our minds, right, within our souls. So we should have that same zeal that he had. Not that we go and take a whip of cords and whip people if they're not doing good, right, or they're, or they're, or they're blaspheming the name of God or whatever. No, we can't do that. We don't know men's hearts like Jesus did, and Jesus said, I will raise, the." he said, I will tear down this, uh, temple and raise it up in three days. Of course, they thought he was talking about the real temple. He was talking about himself. He was raised from the dead. Therefore, he had the authority. Therefore, he could cleanse the temple. He had that right. He knew men's hearts, and he could do that. We can't do that, right? But we can certainly have a zeal for the temple of God within ourselves, with the church. Well, a commonly used phrase for those who are in the church, who are the house of God, you might say, uh, uh, who are part of the kingdom of God, as we've mentioned, is a phrase called born-again uh, born Christians, or we are called born-again Christians. And it's often used, actually, to describe, uh, distinguish between Christians who are born again and, and those who are not, which is really incorrect, because the only way you can be a true Christian is you've got to be born again. And we're going to talk about that today. The Bible uses this expression, born again, only a few times. If you turn over to 1 Peter, let's read what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 right there. 1 <clears throat> Peter chapter 1. And let's just look at a couple of verses there. Verse 3 in particular. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then turn over to verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now remember those verses. We're going to talk about them a little bit later in the lesson. Peter in his first epistle has this idea of being born again. Many times in the New Testament we read about being born of God, right? But not necessarily born again in spirit, in the water and spirit as we're going to talk about. Jesus has a discussion with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was from Sanhedrin. He was one of the leaders he has questions about what Jesus is all about, right? He comes to see him. 
Jesus reveals much about what it means to be born again with his comments in this study. Let's go back to chapter 3 of John, and let's just read what is said there. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Even Nicodemus is seeing the signs. He knows something is different about this man. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, that the light has come to the world, And men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Wow. That's a lot. In those 21 verses, there's a lot said there, is it not? A lot said about being born again, a lot said about the kingdom, a lot said about the sacrifice of Christ, the reason he came, and a lot said about those who'd reject him. Well, first of all, he says there has to be a new birth. Unless one is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom. They cannot see the kingdom. Wow. What is the kingdom of God? Well, a couple of years ago we had a, had a good long study on that, right? Let's turn over to Matthew 28. I want to look at a few verses just to remind ourselves what is the kingdom of God. Make, make sure we understand what we're talking about here. Matthew 28, let's look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus has been given all authority. That kingdom is reigned over in the person God, by God in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that. Turn back to John chapter 18. And let's look. Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So this is a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a physical, earthly kingdom. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. We're part of it. As believers, faithful subjects, we are part of that kingdom of God. Okay? And then uh, go back to Matthew 13. Let's read one last verse there. I want to look at one more thing. Sorry, we're going to be jumping around here a little bit today. But I want to point these out again. Look in Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will set out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of the Father, who he who has ears to hear. Let him hear. The kingdom is present and its future. <clears throat> You're part of it now. If you have faith in him, if you've obeyed the gospel, and you have the hope of the future, the kingdom will exist forever. Even after the earth is burned up, there's no more earth, there will be heaven, the kingdom going on. All right. So to be in the kingdom, as we just read there in Colossians 1, is to be saved from the powers of darkness. So... Part of the new birth is we, got to, we have to be born again to be saved. If you wish to be saved from your sins, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is confused here, right? He thinks Jesus is talking about a physical birth. He says, can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? Which is kind of a silly statement, right? But he's confused. He's wondering what in the world's going on. Let's talk about the nature of the new birth a little bit. Apparently it involves both the water and the spirit, right? But note carefully, this is one birth involving two elements, water and the spirit. Have anybody here ever talked to someone who doesn't believe baptism is necessary? And you got to John 3? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I have. And what was the... Explanation for this verse. This is two births, right? He's talking about when you're born as a baby, and then when you become a Christian, you're born of the Spirit. I got news for him. That doesn't follow the context here. This is not talking about two births. It would make absolutely no sense whatsoever, right? Not two births. It's one. One birth, born of water and the Spirit. Okay. Well, then what are we talking about, born of water and the Spirit? Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Let's read a verse there. 
chapter 3, verse 5. I can see verse 5 here. There we go. Not by works. Actually, let's go back to verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ah, so Paul is describing something similar there, a washing of regeneration by the Spirit. Okay, that makes sense, right? We're baptized into Christ, but we're not really doing anything, right? Who's doing it? Who is adding you to the church? Who's saving you? God, the Spirit, right? It's not us that we're doing anything. We just obeyed the gospel, that's all. Washing of regeneration, water, renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's who does it. Oh, makes a little more sense, doesn't it? One birth, two elements. This is obviously in a reference to baptism. I don't know how you can get around that. There were people that will deny that this has anything to do with baptism. Read a few things out of your outline here. Let's just read them from some commentaries and so forth. One from Alfred's Greek New Testament says, There can be no doubt on any honest interpretation of the words that Genethani ek hudatos, born of water, refers to the token or outward sign of baptism. Genethani ek pneumatos, and I'm sure I'm boshing up that Greek there, born of spirit, to the things signified or inward grace of the Holy Spirit. All attempts to get rid of these two plain facts have sprung from doctrinal prejudices by which the views of expositors have been warped. Here's Albert Barnes' commentary. By water here is evidently signified baptism. Adam Clark's commentary. Baptism by water into the Christian faith was necessary to every Jew and Gentile that entered into the kingdom of the Messiah. In William Wall's history of infant baptism, there is not any one Christian writer of any antiquity in any language but what understands it of baptism. Wow. I believe Calvin was the first that ever denied this place to mean baptism. He gives it another interpretation, which he confesses to be new. The new birth occurs when one's baptized. By that simple act of faith, you're born not only of water out of which you arise, but also of the Spirit, regenerated. Remember when we read Romans 6? We read that many times. It says you are baptized with him, and you're raised up to new life, right? Sins are washed away, and you're a new creature in Christ. You come up out of that water. Not that the water has anything to do with the salvation. It's the blood of Christ that saves you. But that's how we obey the gospel. That's how we come in contact with that blood. All right. Well, if the new birth occurs in baptism, it seems to me we need to be baptized, right? It needs to be part of it. What else is involved? It also involves something else. What do we say in 1 Peter 1, verse 23? We're talking about how you heard about it, right? And how was that? Through the Word of God. So it also involves being born again of the Word. We talked about when we studied the first chapter of John, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word came flesh, John 1, 14, and lived among men. We obeyed that word, the incorruptible word that was preached. The instrument through which the Spirit convicts the sinner. You're not going to realize you're a sinner if you don't hear the word, right? 
How do we know what is right and wrong? Well, there's some of that by just simply living in the world. I mean, you, you can deduce some things, right? You've got to look common sense, I hope. I'm not sure a lot of people outside the church have got common sense, but, you know. No, I'm just kidding. You can see some things by going out and looking at a tree, right? Or going out and looking at the grass. Where did this come from? But you don't know absolute what is right and wrong, right? Until you hear the Word of God, which convicts you and says, You're a sinner. You have failed to live up to the law of God. You need the love of Christ. You need his sacrifice. And that includes Mark 16, 16, the command to be baptized. Part of it. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read something there. Every time I start turning, I have to say Galatians. Which order it is. All right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Let's start right there. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, Jesus sanctifies and cleanses his church by the washing of the water by the word. Another allusion to baptism. Baptism has to be administered with the Word of God to be effective. Otherwise, you're just getting dunked. You're just getting wet, right? It has to be part of it. All right, well, the new birth involves several elements, water, spirit. Of course, we can add word to that. All coming together when you respond to the gospel. <clears throat> but that part's easy to see, isn't it? The part where you're baptized. And we see it many times here in the baptistry. The other part... It's a little bit more difficult to see, right? And as we move forward in our lives as Christians, we should see that part, right? We should expect to see what the Spirit produces in that regeneration. That's funny how he mentions like the wind. Do you know in the Greek, the word for, the, for Spirit is the same word for wind? Do you know that? Interesting. Can you see the wind? Nope. We just had these storms come, the storm come through, right? I was laying in my bed, and I could certainly hear it. And when the power went off, I could certainly feel the effects of it. And that tree that fell felt it, I'm sure. Not that trees feel anything, but, you know, like when a tree falls in the woods, can you hear it? That kind of thing, you know? Anyways, I digress. You can't see the wind, right? But you can sure feel it and see the effects of it. You can't see the spirit either. But you can see the effects of it. By changes in people's lives, right? Now, those of us who were raised in the church, we've probably had a, we probably think, I've been living a good life my whole life. I didn't have to change much when I became a Christian. Well, there was, mom and dad might have had something to say about that, right? But have you ever had a new Christian, a new convert that's older in life, that you saw a big change, you could really see the change in their lives? Yeah, I've seen that. And when you think about it, that's fascinating. That's truly the spirit at work in their lives. They're truly changing because of that washing and regeneration by the spirit. So if someone is truly converted, if someone truly becomes a Christian, if someone truly is born again, there's going to be a change in their lives. And you're going to see the fruits of it. You're going to see the effects of it. Otherwise, 
Maybe they weren't really changed. Otherwise, maybe they've gone back to the ways of the flesh, walking in the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit, as we read about in 1 John. Okay, as the discussion continues, it soon turns into a discourse, right? Uh, the latter, where Jesus describes the basis for this new birth. Of course, first and foremost is his sacrifice. <clears throat> let's go over to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament there, and let's read about something that occurred. And I know most of you remember this, but let's just read it just to refresh our minds. Numbers 21, beginning in verse 4. Of course, this is the Israelites. They're out in the wilderness wandering. Verse 4, Numbers 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Man, ungrateful, ungrateful people. We're never like that, are we? <laughs> For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Hmm. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. I don't think you can make a better movie. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus makes reference to that. He compares... His sacrifice, the crucifixion to Moses lifting up the serpent that we read about in the book of Numbers. People can only be saved from their perishing through belief in Jesus Christ. Lifting up and looking on him, just like the Israelites looked on the serpent that was raised up. Without redemption from sin, regeneration is meaningless. The new birth provides that. New birth provides that uh, forgiveness because of the sacrifice of God, of Jesus. And also, his love is shown through this. God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son. I learned that when I was about three years old, I think. I mean, that's it, right? He loved the world, not just the Jews. He loved everyone. Black, white, red, whatever. He loves everyone. John's telling us, in that, tell us that right there. Jesus says, through that love, I gave sacrifice. God does not want anyone to perish or be condemned, but to be saved. That's what makes Christ's sacrifice worth it. Relevant, right? God's love for us. He loved the world. Also, the basis of this is the faith of man. It's not just, we, we don't get to be in the kingdom without us having faith, right? We got to have faith in him. We got to put our trust in him. Those who believe do not perish. Not, though, not everyone. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to be saved, but not everyone's going to be saved. It's only those who believe and are born again. New birth requires faith in Jesus. 
Without faith, being born of water is meaningless, and born of the Spirit is impossible. Christ's sacrifice and God's love and cooperation with our faith makes the new birth possible. That makes us be able to be born again. Yes, sir. Did you have your hand up? Oh, sorry. So, only true Christians are those who've been born again, who've been baptized in Christ, raised up to new life, regenerated by the Spirit, and then begin to serve, begin to walk in the light, begin to show fruit from your works. Not that your works are saving you, but you, your fruit shows who you are, the love you have for each other. They know you are Christians by what? By our love. Absolutely. God loved us. He sent his son. We should love others just as he did. Then he goes on to talk about, though, something else there. Last two or three verses. He says there are some who have rejected it. Who have rejected this great sacrifice. This great love that God provided for people. Why? Well... Jesus says, many loved the darkness more than the light. Another thing we read about in John 1, the light came into the world. And what did it do? Exposed the deeds of men. Exposed those evil things that men were doing, right? Convicted them that they are sinners. They are sinners and they need a Savior. And there are those, he says, who love that darkness because of those evil deeds. They love that darkness more than they love God. There are those who love the world enough that they will reject the light of Jesus Christ. Now, we're human beings. We all struggle with things, right? We have temptation. And man... Is it ever more prevalent today than it has ever been? Seems like anyways. It's hard to resist sometimes, isn't it? There's things that each and every one of you have struggles with. Yeah. And that's not the same for every person. For some reason, some more people have a hard time with one thing. Somebody else has something different. It's a work in progress. It's a constant growth thing, right? It's a constant walking in the light that we have to do. Else, we'll fall in the snare of the devil, right? We'll go back to those evil deeds. We'll reject that darkness. We'll become hardened. Many don't want to be exposed by the light. They know that coming to Jesus will expose their evil deeds. But those willing to obey do not fear the light, right? Those are unwilling to give up their evil deeds. They are unwilling to subject to the new birth, which acknowledges one's sinfulness, and requires repentance. That's the big word, isn't it? Part of that new birth is that repentance, isn't it? Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean you're not going to fail. But you have changed that heart. And with the Spirit's help, with God's help, you're constantly turning from temptation. Changing your heart to live like Christ who came into the world, who was that light, who was the Word. So, in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus reveals much about being born again. First of all, it's necessary. 
You've got to be born again. You've got to change. You've got to be renewed. And he talks about the nature, water, and the spirit. It's one birth. It's not two. He has the evidence of a new birth by its effects. You're going to see changes, the basis, which is Christ's sacrifice. And then he talked about those who reject it, right? So what does that mean for us? Well, if you've been born again, and I would say probably just about everybody in here has, you need to be walking in the light. And if you're not, you need to be thinking about that and turning back. And that doesn't mean you have to go be baptized again. But there may be some things in your life that you need to be praying about, that you need to be rejecting and turning from, that you may need to come forward and tell the church about, because you need help with that. We're in this together, folks. We're part of the kingdom. We're part of the church. And we need each other. I know in this pandemic, that has made that hard for us to be together at times. And I'm so thankful that we can do that now. And I know that there are many watching online that can't be here right now or feel like they can't be here. And we certainly understand that. But it's so great, is it not, to be able to be together as a church of God. Born again, sanctified by Jesus Christ. I mean... With all that's going on this year, can you imagine trying to make it through life without the church? How do people do it? I work with folks that don't go to church. I hadn't seen them in a few months. Talked to them on the phone. And I thought about that. I, I, I go, how are they able to manage all this mess? You know, they, they're scared. They're scared just like I'm, I am or I have been, like you are. But they don't have the church, their friends, family to fall back on. I guess maybe they just try not to think about it. I don't know. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Makes it tough. What a blessing it is that our God loved us so much that he sent his son that we can have a hope. What else is there? Nothing else, right? Who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And Jesus says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel about that. It's a fact. I'm making it available to you because of my sacrifice and because of my love for you. Again, I've said many times, we need to be in prayer, and I hope you are. We need to be in his word, and I hope you are, every day. And right now, you know, you can't do a whole lot anyways, so you might as well be. And we need to be in service. Service to each other, service in the kingdom. Right, we're part of a kingdom, folks! We're subjects in the kingdom. And the king is the dude that created everything. Created the whole universe. I mean, do you ever go outside and look up at the sky at night and the stars and think, 
Man! That's awesome! Or looked at a meteor shower. You ever going out and try to watch one? I know that you usually can't see it until 2 or 3 in the morning, but... Man, that's awesome! I know many of you have children. I don't know if you were able to see the birth of your child, but how'd you feel when that happened? That's awesome! Yeah. God did it. God created that. We have confidence and we have comfort in that. Man, we have comfort in that. So comforting. I don't know where I would be without being able to pray. Of course, my wife's been through some things in the last year, and, and, and it's been tough for both of us. I've done a lot of praying. But that's nothing compared to some of you. I know some of the things you've been through. And she's doing good now. She's still got a ways to go, but she's doing good. But man, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'd have done without praying, without being able to pray about that. And I don't know what she would have done. I was scared about it, yeah. She certainly was. <clears throat> so nice to be able to have that, isn't it? You're a born-again Christian. You're subject of the kingdom. What a blessing that is. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What else is there? All right. I'll get off my soapbox here. Time is up. Thanks for being here.